Hello and welcome back to Witch Freaks. Today I'm going to be talking about Wicca series book 13, Reckoning. Uh, I've been reading these quite quickly in the last couple of weeks just because I looked at the massive stack of them and I was like, oh, go on then. So the last two are actually scheduled to arrive today from Amazon and I'm hoping to read them just as quickly because I read this one yesterday, like end to end and um gonna have a little chat about that so this book features Alyssa as the main character it's the first book to do that although we did get some of her perspective in I think the previous book to this one um where it was like offset with Morgan's perspective in Eclipse so this is her first like fully devoted this is her throughout the entire book and it sees a return of the diary entries at the beginning of the chapters being longer and from the same person as opposed to completely absent or just short quotes all the diary entries seem to come from the 1940s through the 1970s 1990s and are all attributed to someone called Aelheim I think it's really hard to tell because again a very strange font has been chosen I rank it maybe like a 7 out of 10 in pure illegibility it's not the worst one that we've come across the first extract, or should I say the prologue, because it's not actually like a chapter front extract, is from 1888 and is attributed to someone called Marin, and that becomes relevant to the story as we go. So in previous books, Alyssa has found out that her mother was a blood witch who stripped her powers and left her Rowanwand family and coven to move to Texas, marry a human man, and then obviously give birth to Alyssa and then die when Alyssa was quite young. So that's quite a lot to find out about. But in this book, Alyssa actually tries to contact her relatives. And she does this by essentially Googling the coven name that is Roy Seal, I think. I'm going to say a lot of these words wrong. And finding a shop that is associated with that coven, like trading with that name. And so she emails them and says, hey, do you know Sam Curtis? He's my uncle. The shop owner says, oh, yeah, I know Sam, passes her details along. And then she gets an email from her uncle saying that he'd be thrilled to meet her. And this is amazing and all the rest of it. So that's pretty positive. And that starts really early in the book, like the first 10 pages. We find out about all this stuff going on. Alyssa also comes out to Mary Kay as being a blood witch. Uh, Mary Kay doesn't take this particularly well because Mary Kay is kind of a damp spoon which is a saying that I just invented but she's very annoying and very catholic about witchcraft and she's just like I don't get it why are so many people interested in this thing that I think is wrong and bad surely they are the ones who are wrong and not me so that is not really relevant to the plot but I guess adds to the general tension that moves the plot along the main source of that tension is that Alyssa's dad is remarrying and Alyssa does not like his new wife who's 25 and pregnant now in the previous book Eclipse she actually like got on quite well with Hillary towards the end. They were talking to each other civilly and seemed to have a good relationship. But this book really hard resets that to the point where she can't stand talking to her again, which I found quite strange, like the books had somehow gotten out of sequence. Um, basically, things come to a head because Alyssa's bedroom is next to her dad and Hillary's bedroom, and they want her to move to the room at the end of the hall so that when the baby's born, it can have her room, which I feel like, if there is a book about how to be a new stepmother or how to introduce a new step sibling to a family, this would be rule one that you don't take away the teenage girl's room and give it to the baby. Surely the baby can just sleep in the parents room for like the first couple of months or the first year until it's like old enough to be put in the room at the end of the hall itself. But oh, no. 
Alyssa is expected to move to the room at the end of the hall and she procrastinates packing her stuff into boxes to move it because she doesn't want to have to move and it feels like no one is taking her emotions into account, which I 100% agreed with. I was just sort of reading it like the things that her stepmother and father are saying is just like, wow, you have no emotional intelligence at all, do you? But I was sort of prepared for Alyssa to not really kick off about this kind of thing because Morgan, series protagonist, is very not into drama and doesn't seem to want to raise any objections to this kind of thing. Like her parents threatened to send her to Catholic school and she didn't really kick off that much. But boy, does Alyssa kick off in this book. Uh, Basically to the tune of saying that her dad couldn't have picked anybody younger. I mean, she could have introduced him to some freshmen at her high school if he was that hard up, which wow. And that Hillary's only pregnant because they were too stupid to use protection, which also wow. She then storms into her, her room. This was all like predicated on the fact that while she was out one day, Hillary packed all her stuff into boxes, including some letters and the Book of Shadows belonging to her birth mother, which had then become disarranged and momentarily lost. So you can see why she was upset. But she goes into her room, gets a bag, packs some stuff and leaves the house without her stepmother or her father noticing after this fight. She walks down the street and meets Morgan, who's driving back from Hunter's house. She sits in the car with Morgan, tells her all about it. And Morgan says, quite rightly, I'm not just going to like take you to a bus station. You can either go stay with Hunter for a bit or you can go home. That's your choice. But Alyssa in the end decides to persuade her. She says, look, my uncle wants to meet me. I need to go there and find out about my mum. I've been having this weird recurring dream about a mermaid, which is a whole other thing. But I need to go there and find out what this is all about. So Morgan puts a watch sigil on her so she'll know where she is and if she's okay, and says, okay, but call me in 24 hours and let me know what's happening and call Hunter and update him on the situation. I felt like that was quite handled quite maturely by Morgan in the sense that she didn't just go oh your your parents are dicks of course I'll take you to the bus station either way Alyssa ends up at the bus station so she goes there she meets her uncle Sam who is a gay guy who is also a witch and those are the only things that we learn about him that and he makes good omelets so she meets him she then meets the rest of her family which total three people she's got her grandmother Evelyn she's got her aunt Ruth and her cousin Bridget Um, and she also meets Bridget's boyfriend Charlie. Now her reception from these people isn't as warm as her reception from Sam. Specifically Evelyn is super cold and really mean to her and at various points it's very pointed about the fact that Alyssa can't do magic because she assumes that because Alyssa is the daughter of a witch and a normie that she doesn't have any magical powers which ordinarily would be the case if Alyssa's mother hadn't bound her own powers and therefore sort of accidentally passed them on to her daughter. Alyssa isn't really in a hurry to reveal the fact that she has powers because quite rightly I think she thinks that she should be treated like a family member even if she doesn't have magical powers. However a resurgence of the telekinetic stuff that was happening in previous books happens when she gets to the house. A lot of things are breaking, a tree branch snaps off and nearly kills Sam in the driveway, a chandelier falls on the dinner table, shit's amping up. And this is attributed by the family to a ghost called Una. And Una is, or was mentioned in the prologue. So going back a little bit and trigger warning here for mentions of suicide. Una was a past matriarch of the family. But when she lost a bunch of her family, like her husband and sons to the flu virus, she went a little bit crazy. She started doing a lot of 
black magic as people do and one night came to Marin, who was her daughter she was ranting hexing drawing blood symbols on mary's face and really scaring her and then the next morning or i think a couple of days later was found dead in the sea having apparently killed herself and since then her ghost has been said to haunt the family and move things around and break things and if you're me you're thinking well Alyssa knows that she has the power to move things around and break things with her mind she has read her mother's diary that says her mother also had this power so perhaps she will mention this to these people even if she only mentions it to like sam or one of the nice ones and say hey maybe it's not a ghost maybe my grandmother who's directly related to the two people i know who've had this power also has it and due to emotional upsets of the fact that i have just come into the house it's getting worse she does not mention this it doesn't even seem to occur to her that it's a thing that she could mention for but the majority of the book, the ghost and the telekinetic powers are treated as two separate entities and the link isn't made between them until like four pages from the end, which was incredibly frustrating and brought me back to the feelings of strife. Book nine, the one that tested my patience. We find out around page 85 that the person who is writing the diary entries at the beginning of each chapter is actually Evelyn, the grandmother because we find out that she found Marin's Book of Shadows, which is mentioned in the diary. So it's confirmed that Evelyn is the one who's writing these diary entries. And basically these diary entries reflect the fact that when she's emotionally upset or in turmoil, but hiding it from people, like when she's forced to marry someone 10 years older than her, um, which, which she doesn't really want to do, but puts on a brave face, she wakes up one morning and her beautifully embroidered wedding robes have been ripped apart by the ghost but obviously it was her mentally doing it and at one point she opens up a bith deck or whatever you call it the hole that goes into the underworld from seeker we might remember that to try and get una's ghost into the hole and to close it sort of like she's a looney tunes character um to get rid of the ghost and after that, the ghost disappears for quite a while because Evelyn recalls in her diary that she's been sapped of all energy by performing this ritual. She's very tired. Obviously, that means she doesn't have the extra telekinetic energy to move things around without noticing. So I quite liked that. It kind of delved deep into her. The thing that I didn't like was the fact that obviously no one was making the connection between the ghost and the telekinetic powers. The other thing that adds drama to the book, and I was actually kind of on board for this drama, like I was really happy that she'd went off at her dad and her stepmom for being quite unreasonable in my opinion, and that also she was being talked down to by her family because I knew eventually she was gonna pop off at them for thinking that she didn't have powers. The other dramatic thing that happens is that from the moment she meets Charlie, who's her cousin's boyfriend, they really hit it off. They have a lot in common. She feels drawn to him. And I was prepared for them to be like that incomprehensible Celtic word for soulmates. That isn't actually mentioned. And he is a blood witch. So I think he knows about the concept, but he doesn't mention it. So I'm guessing maybe they aren't. They're just more compatible than him and Bridget because they spend a lot of time together over the few days that she's there. And while they're trying to find Evelyn's hidden library, to find out some books and things about like the ghost and telekinetic powers and all this stuff they end up kissing while they find the library and are reading the books in secret so that was some teenage emotional drama that for once i didn't mind so much because it wasn't linked into this idea of like soulmates it was just kind of normal 
teenage emotions, which didn't annoy me as much. The book kind of draws to its conclusion when finally someone connects the dots between the telekinetic powers and the ghost and Alyssa goes to Evelyn and says look I think you bottling up your emotions about me and about what happened with my mum is what's causing all this and Evelyn admits that this is the case um, clearly realising that she is being affected in this way. It helps that she's found the um, Book of Shadows of Men by this point so that all gets resolved in a kind of non-conflicty kind of way nothing really dramatic happens Alyssa then makes things up with her dad and her stepmom and goes home she wants to stay in touch with Charlie Charlie's broken up with Bridget so that's all fine and Dante and they may continue to date long distance I don't really care at that point and Alyssa is given her mother's magical tools uh, which have been kept by her grandmother all this time so that's a nice mirror of I guess when Morgan found her mother's tools at the beginning it's nice that Alyssa's like found her family. Nothing really wow happens at the end of the book. There are no big revelations. I mean, not that you couldn't see coming a mile away. There's no big magical battles or anything. It kind of reads pleasantly normal. It, it's more of a cosy book than anything else. It's like a family mystery more than a life or death dark magic encounter so yeah I definitely enjoyed this one a lot more than the Morgan solo books I feel like I enjoy most of the books that are not Morgan as the protagonist because I really liked this one I liked Origins Seeker not so much because Hunter is still I think too close to Morgan he's kind of swept up in her whole like attention sucking boredom pit of who she is as a character but I liked Reckoning I don't know why it was called Reckoning because the other books tend to have titles that relate to things that happen in them so like eclipse which was the preceding book is about the light and the dark battling with each other like the dark wave coming and then trying to fight it with light magic even more literally the title of origins was about the origin of the dark wave seeker was about hunter who is a seeker various things like that whereas reckoning there isn't really a reckoning in it it's just kind of a soft discovery it's nothing so dramatic as a reckoning something I did also really like about this book is that it actually contains some lessons about Wicca which I feel like we haven't seen from the book series for a while for example there's a moment where Bridget tries to do some weather magic basically to impress Alyssa because Alyssa doesn't have powers so obviously she's going to be impressed by Bridget showing off with magic because she's kind of weirded out by this and uncomfortable with what Bridget is trying to do mainly because in her mum's book of shadows there's a record of how her uncle Sam used dark magic once by accident to summon a rain shower but it turned into a storm that killed several sailors she reaches out with her own power and basically stops Bridget's spell from working uh, and later on Charlie's talking to her about it's okay to mess up with magic and to make mistakes uh, and then he says on page 97 Messing up is one thing. The real trouble comes when you're just trying to impress people with magic you don't know how to control. Like what Bridget was trying to do back at the restaurant before you stopped her. So that kind of gets into some things that you read a lot about in craft books. I think there's a specific bit that I'm thinking of it in a Kate West book, which is like part of your self-initiation ritual, which is that you will not use magic or the trappings of Wicca to impress the weak-minded or the credulous to show off in other words so I quite liked that as 
an addition. They were talking about like the morals of magic, but it didn't feel like it was condescending in the way it does when Hunter does it in the other books. Uh, what I really liked was on page 118, uh, when Charlie lends her his athme so they can try and use it to detect the hidden entrance to the family library. And she says, I pointed to the athme. Can I hold that? I mean, is it sacred or something? Well, he said, it's a magical tool. So yes, it's sacred, but it belongs to me and I have no problem with you using it. Whether or not it works pretty much depends on you. Magical tools function when the user brings their magic to them. You mean like the toaster only works when you plug it in, then it can use its bread charring powers. Exactly, he nodded with a smile. The tool is the toaster and you are the socket. Twee um, explanation with toaster aside, I think that's pretty good. A lot of people get hung up on having this tool or that tool because it looks impressive. And if it's, you know, carved by hand out of quartz crystal and inlaid with gold and all the rest of it, then it will be more effective, right? But that's not the case because the wand on its own isn't magical. The athme isn't magical on its own. It's you using them that way that makes it magical. And when people talk about a lot of the tools being household objects like the broom the cup the cauldron things that people could use in like a folk witch practice without necessarily being seen as practicing in that way regardless of whether that's true and accurate of like the hidden goddess cult or not i think it's a nice idea that these objects were at one time things that we had ready access to and that every home would have it's not that they're like these special ceremonial objects because we are the ones who have the power and who give these things meaning which I really liked as a section of the book and also I felt because Charlie was more of a friendly character towards her it made the lessons come across better because the way Hunter acts towards Morgan has kind of given me the creeps since the first time he entered the book series he's like a couple of years older than her he's a council seeker so obviously he has a lot of power in the sense of his connections in the witch world which she doesn't have because she's only just realized that she's a witch and he constantly says well um he's the initiated one he's the leader of their coven he's the one who has connections to the council so he's the one who's always in charge and in control whereas charlie i think maybe because he's a rowan wand uh, so his character is more about like sharing knowledge and isn't knowledge great and we should all learn as much as we can because that's what we do as rowan wands comes across more in his personality because he's more willing to just give knowledge without saying oh well obviously I know this because I'm way more important than you but I'm just gonna tell you about this but don't you dare do it because you're not initiated like he never even mentions once that she hasn't been initiated which is really nice so he gets a big thumbs up and I'm still not happy about Hunter. So that's about everything in this book. Like I said, the final two books are arriving hopefully today and I'll get around to reading those soon. And in the meantime, you can go back through the Wicker series if you'd like and let me know if you've read any of these, which one was your favourite. I'd be really interested to find that out. And if you'd be interested in me doing a giveaway of the full series of Wicker books, because unlike with Circle of Three, I actually have all of the books in like hard copies and I thought it might be nice to do a little giveaway with those at the end of this but let me know how you think about that in the normal way which is twitter or the comments on this video if, if you're looking on youtube or you can email as well uh, all the information's in the description box and in the meantime i'll see you in the next episode bye